Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Maybe he had grudges, I don't really know, but basically the one common denominator these guys all have is they want to kill as many people as possible and they want a crowd of people. They need a crowd of people to do it and they need an assault weapon to pull it off. I don't, we don't see too many mass shootings anymore um, that don't involve assault weapons. If we do, the kill count's very low. It's usually at the minimum threshold. Hi, everybody. My guest this week is Lori Post, an expert on mass shootings at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. And I can't believe we're here talking about this in my own community. On July 4th, the beautiful community of Highland Park, where I have lived for 25 years, was shattered by a mass shooting. A 21-year-old man, identified by police officers as Bobby Cremo III of Highwood, dressed as a woman in order to evade detection. He climbed a fire escape ladder, according to police, and fired a high-powered assault rifle, legally purchased, I might add, into a crowd of people enjoying a 4th of July parade that was just getting underway. At least six people died, more than 30 others were injured. Professor Post, what kind of human being does this? What is the profile? Um, that one's really simple. This person has absolutely no empathy. Somebody who's a, like a psychopath, a sociopath, a narcissist, basically has no empathy for humans, animals. Um, they're basically evil. Doesn't mean he's mentally ill. It means he's, um, he has a personality disorder. And what does that mean? When you say the difference between mental disorder and a personality disorder, a lot of people would conflate them and think they were two of the same thing. Yeah. So, so somebody with, you know, who has like major depressive episodes or um, anxiety disorders, those are mental health conditions. And, um, and while personality disorders can be argued to be one type of mental health conditions, I want to keep them separate just because I don't want to stigmatize people um, who have mental health problems that need help. Um, they already are stigmatized. They already have we already have a crisis of mental health in America, and we don't want to make it worse by blaming um, those people for um, the acts of somebody who's just cold and evil. Well, after the massacre and before Bobby Cremo was identified as the suspect, you wrote that the mass shooter would be a young white male because the victims were young. And the event was for kids and their families. How did you know that? Um, well, I've been looking at mass shooters um, since 1966. And I look at anybody who collects data on mass shooters and I read like um, media profiles of them. And so one is um, it's mass shootings is a male game um, over, since the last 50 years or so, whatever. Um, there's one woman who 
acted in part with her husband who made her um, go to a mass shooting. And then we've only got one example of a woman who killed four people out of all those years. So basically it's a man's thing. Um, the other thing is that um, white males are disproportionately overrepresented, meaning they're more likely to commit mass shootings than um, other people. Now you say women don't do this and only once it happened. Why is that? Women have more empathy than men? Women are, are not as prone to personality disorder? What about it? Women well, can do all kinds of things. Yeah, they can be Bonnie can and Clyde. Life. They can have all kinds of personality disorders and women can be really cold. But I think, you know, probably, you know, it's like a deeper um, meaning for like what it means to be masculine and how to be, you know, be a macho man and um, what some people need to do to feel that maybe that's not something women need. I'm not really I'm not really sure why women aren't. I just know that they're not represented. What it, was the mass shooting, the one that was done by a woman? Do we know anything about that? Uh, when was that? Where? Um, that one, it's been quite a while, um, at least a couple of decades ago. And it was a woman on a reservation. She was Native American. And what were the circumstances there? Um, she shot four people, killed four people. It wasn't a very prolific mass massacre, but um, it did it did happen. That's the only one that I'm aware of. And did she use an assault weapon or were there no, assault regular, weapons then? Regular gun. And that's why, again, it wasn't a very big killing of only four people. So four people is a minimum threshold for what I include as a mass shooting. Everybody defines it differently. Some people define a mass shooting as like three or more shootings not killed, three or four or more shootings not killed, or three deaths or four deaths. I, and I go with a more narrow of four deaths. And I do that because you want to make policy that's effective. When you want to link policy to prevention, you want a very narrow definition. You also said that older mass shooters tend to go to workplaces and government buildings and that they tend to go to places where they feel comfortable shooting the people who are there. Yeah. When you say feel comfortable shooting the people who are there, what do you mean? Well, for here's the thing is like younger, like if you notice all the people who've gone into schools and done shootings or shoot children or go to places where children go, um, those tend to be the younger mass shooters and um, older mass shooters. I can think of, um, you know, many where they happen in workplaces, government buildings, things like that. They were older. And that was the case in Uvalde, Texas, too. How old was that young man? Um, he was, I believe, 18. So yeah. pretty. that's pretty young, hardly an adult. So developmentally, he's still kind of a kid. And you also said that mass shooters are disproportionately white and almost always male. Yes. Why is that? Um, again, I, you know, I think that um, to feel women don't, women have their own issues and there are lots of personality disorders that women have. Um, but mass shooting is just not one of them. Um, also, you know, it's raped by women is rare too. You say this parade was the designated target for Mr. Cremo, if the police are right, uh, because it allowed him to shoot and kill multiple people because crowds gather at parades. And he really left nothing to chance. He dressed as a woman to hide his tattoos he used a ladder to uh, to access this rooftop of a store in Highland Park that everyone knows very well. 
and he he let loose and fired into crowds of, into the crowd of people as yeah. this parade was beginning. Right. So I think I think you know I don't know for sure. More information will come out too, but I'm just guessing or whatever. Um, here's the thing that I think and believe and know to be true about mass shooters is that they go through weeks, if not months of planning and forethought and plotting and how they'll maximize kill counts, how they'll get a high kill count, what type of weapon to use, what kind of ammunition to use. Um, and so, you know, rapid fire, I was guessing would have happened. So it would have to be an assault weapon with large capacity magazines so they can shoot as many people as possible. So I think that the one thing that we have to make really clear is there's not some mystery about why he wanted to kill these people because his objective was to kill as many people as possible. And so um, all of his plotting and forethought planning organization had to do with how do you maximize the, the number of kills? And so he wanted to find a crowd of people. And that's what's very common, you know, common denominator in all of these mass shootings is it's a group of people. This is not somebody this is not somebody who had a beef with uh, somebody on the job, for example, or went into a store or or someplace where there was some kind of a grudge that he had. This was not that he didn't know the people who he was shooting. He didn't care to. Um, Yeah, here's so, you know, we don't know. Sometimes we find out mass shooters had some connection with the place. Um, You know, I can think of. Um, one mass shooter, like the Park Parkland shooter, he attended that particular high school. He picked the four, he picked, um, um, what is it called? Valentine's Day as a day to do the shooting. And he picked the particular time. They get down to the very little minutia detail about where they go. And he did that when he had an ex at that particular school. But really, that's not what's driving this. What's driving this is they want to kill somebody looking for a good reason. So maybe he had grudges. I don't really know. But basically, the one common denominator these guys all have is they want to kill as many people as possible and they want a crowd of people. They need a crowd of people to do it and they need an assault weapon to pull it off. I don't, we don't see too many mass shootings anymore um, that don't involve assault weapons. If we do, the kill counts very low. It's usually at the minimum threshold. You say that the perpetrator here had an ongoing escalation of antisocial behavior and that this was not his first conflict. When I saw the video, one of the videos posted by Bobby Cremo, it was almost like a cry for not help, but to telegraph what he was about to do. Yeah. um, So, so here's the thing is I I was making that as a prediction that um, you don't just show up at a mass shooting as your first antisocial act, right? You have to work your way up to that. So I just have never seen anybody who the first thing that they did that was wrong or whatever was to show up and kill a bunch of people. You have to work your way up. So he's going to have conflict. Um, The other thing is people with antisocial personalities, they can't have relationships. They can't maintain a long-term relationship. He couldn't have a girlfriend, boyfriend, friends. He couldn't have any of that. He's going to be a loner. Um, And, um, He could be full of anger and hate and all kinds of other things. But um, I predicted that he would have, uh, there would be lots of evidence. So what do we know so far is that, um, is that he was posting videos. We, and I saw some of them, um, the, the, uh, one of the most recent ones was September of 2021. So that means he's been planning this for at least that many months, almost, you know, three quarters of a year, at least. 
And so, and we know he was posting fantasies about killing, bleeding out, suicide by cop. Um, he was also posting pictures of himself wearing like military night gear, something like the men wore who killed Osama bin Laden with, you know, helmets and um, um, lights on their helmets and night gear so that they could, um, you know, sneak around in the middle of the night and commit, you know, kill somebody. And that's what his fantasy was. And now we also come to learn that he was riding around the neighborhood dressed like this, playing loud music, which is kind of look at me, look at me. Of course, he was signaling what he was going to do. And so why did nobody notice this kind of behavior and stop him or alert authorities? I mean, isn't there some kind of an intelligence unit that monitors this stuff? And shouldn't there be? There absolutely should be. So basically what we know now, what we hear is starting to come out um, is like, you know, people who knew of him in school, he apparently had dropped out of school. Um, that's a problem. Um, he um, disfigured his face. Um, also, I want to correct the record. You said that he wore women's um, clothing to conceal his tattoos. He wore women's clothing to conceal weapons. Oh, I see. What do you stick it under a dress? I, I... So, yeah, something like that. We don't really know all the details on that one, but I think it was to hide the gun, not not to hide the tattoos. But um, he, but having said that, he did have tattoos, of course, all over. And um, um, it's problematic when people disfigure their face. It's just more alarms are going off already. Yeah, with all the alarms that went off or should have gone off right. and the videos that he posted and, and what he was telegraphing. Yeah. Who I, should have caught this and 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 how should it have gone down if if things were working? Yeah, to I think, alert. I think I think you're making a really great point. And the problem is, is we don't have um, anybody in charge of mass shooters would be mass shooters when we should. And so um, a bunch of a bunch of kids that went to the same high school with him are aware of behaviors, a bunch of people who saw these videos are these posts on you know social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever? They should. This is alarming. This is not normal behavior. Um, you know, posting weapons, death, you know, death threats, basically, that should be um, reported to maybe the police. And I think you know, I I think that maybe a good model would be something like how um, we no longer make battered women responsible for charging the their batter with domestic violence. In fact, the police will do it. So they're the ones who are held accountable. So maybe we should do something similar to that where people can report alarming behavior or disturbing behavior. So someone riding around the neighborhood wearing military night gear is, is alarming. Um, the fact that he dropped out of school, that he lives in his uncle's basement, that's alarming. Kids should be wanting to grow up and get away from their parents and um, do something or you know work or go to school or something. You say that he admires other mass shooters and is inspired by the recent escalation of mass shootings, that one mass shooting is a contagion. What do you mean by that? Well, so again, that was another prediction. So we know, but you know, just based on other mass shooters before that they, um, that they admired other mass shooters, talked about them, wrote about them, talked about um, um, exceeding other people's kill counts. And then, there is really good research done by Dr. Fry, who's at Northeastern University, who measures the contagion effect. And that means that one mass shooter can inspire other ones. And basically, um, it will encourage others to you know, commit an act to you know, get fame and glory. 
And I also think social media is how, you know, how, how it greases the wheels. They want to be seen in the news. Um, I prefer not to use even his name because we don't want to give him what he wanted. This is truly frightening, though, when you consider the pandemic's impact on the mental health and social well-being of young people. They were isolated from each other. They they are social animals. They need each other. They need their friends. Two years at a pandemic, they learned remotely. They were isolated from their friends. Are you afraid that we are going to see more of this? Well, um, not because... Well, here's the thing is I don't, I, let's be really clear here too. I think there are horrible things about the pandemic and leaving our kids socially isolated. You know, it's hard. That's really hard. It's horrible what's happened to them. And I think, you know, I have children. I think they're all developmentally just delayed because they're at the, you know, the, the age of, you know, graduating from college and stuff like that and had to literally move into my house and finish up school out of my basement. Um, so that's different. Mental health is a different thing. This guy had has personality disorder that would be show up probably back when he was in elementary school, when, you know, that, that solidifies. Um, and so that's very different. He was just evil. Um, even though our other children are suffering from the, you know, adverse outcomes of the pandemic and they have missed out on developmental experiences and socializing and stuff like that, um, doesn't make them evil or and, you know, without empathy, it just makes them suffer and have depression and, um, you know, miss out on a lot of things. So when you awful. say he's evil, I mean, kids are not born out of the womb evil. How does a kid get so evil that he has no empathy and no feeling and is just like this robot who goes to a top of a building and starts shooting this way? Um, well, here's the thing is that I believe that... Um, I believe, you know, I'm, there's, I was thinking there's a guy from the behavioral analysis unit who thinks that, you know, genetics is part of it. Our socialization is part of it and trigger events are part of it. Um, so, um, you know, who's to say why some people are, but, you know, you know, why did Ted Bundy become Ted Bundy? There were some genetic things. There were some um, behavioral things or events that happened in his life that made him act that way. I think the same thing can be said for mass shooters is that, they're just, some people are just off um, something. Some people have, you know, things in their life that happen that frame how they think of things. It could be violence or abuse or something like that. I don't have, we have no clue, but then there's a lot of people who experience violence and abuse that don't grow up and become serial killers or mass shooters. So I think it's a combination and just with all these things, they'll have to align right for it to, you know, to create mass shooters. I think we were getting more of them. I think social media facilitates it, greases the wheels for these guys, and also helps them get the the attention that they're looking for. Um, Again, I think that um, there's a contagion effect where where mass shooters are, are see um, other people who commit mass shootings get all this attention and they want that for themselves. And maybe have, again, want to have this issue of masculinity or want to feel like a man and need a gun to do it. We always have parents fearful of video games and the desensitization that goes on when kids sit there shooting and and that's the game. Does that play any kind of role in desensitizing a young person Um, to to the point where they could do this? I think that the I think that that research has been done, um, you know, years ago. And I've heard, you know, I don't 
I don't, I'm not an expert in video games, but I've heard before, it's like, no, it doesn't really create a violent person. You, you just can't create that, but it might be like throwing gasoline on a fire. So somebody who's obsessed with killing and playing, you know, kill games might be one of the signs, but it's not going to make somebody who's not um, without empathy going to do something like that. How can we stop this kind of thing before it happens? Is it time to install magnetometers around outdoor events like this? I mean, you go to the Botanic Gardens, you pass through a metal detector. You go to a concert venue, you pass through a metal detector. I attended this parade almost every year with my husband. I didn't go this year because only because he died a few months ago. I was afraid it would bring back painful memories. But the police at these events are more concerned with traffic control than they are with security. Does that need to change? Um, no, you can't. There's nothing we can do about that. There are people who gather in large events or people who get together. Um, mass shooters need a crowd to fire into. So how about this? If we know what motivates a mass shooter, they want to kill as many people as possible. We know how to stop that because we've done, we've implemented policies that were very effective at stopping mass shootings, stopping the lethality of mass shootings, and actually stopping the number of mass shootings. And that was um, a prevention of semi-automatic weapons that are rapid fire in large capacity magazines. Nobody needs to the, to have you know 70 rounds that they can fire into a crowd. And why did we have an assault weapons ban for 10 years in this country? Why was it allowed to expire? Um, because Republicans did not want it to go on. Um, and, um, this is unfortunate because this was bipartisan when it was implemented in 1994. It's very unfortunate that there wasn't um, support for it to continue on because as um, I you know, personally have looked at it, if we had kept the policy in place, we probably would have shaved off approximately 30 mass shootings between 2005 and um, 2019. That would have prevented the murder of probably close to 350 people and the um, injury with bullets of an, an additional 1,100 people. You've quantified this. You've yep. studied these mass shootings and, yep. and the ones that might have been prevented. Yep. And then I also want to strongly emphasize, not only have I done this, but there's several other researchers from different disciplines who have approached this from different perspectives. And I think that there's the one common denominator. None of us agree how to define a mass shooting or, um, or you know, basically how to, what is the best way to study this? We all come at it from different disciplines, different methods, statistical techniques, but we all find the same, conclude the same thing that is assault weapons work. And when then, you, I'm sorry, I, go ahead. Yeah, I just also wanted to strongly emphasize, you know, um, we look at other, other places that pass similar legislation. So we passed our legislation in 1994. Um, in 1996, there was a horrible mass shooting in Tasmania, Australia, I think it was 35, 36 people were gunned down dead with an assault weapon. And so the brand new prime minister who just came into office just said, oh, my God, I got to do something. I have to use my office to do something about mass shootings. This can't happen again. And within a couple of weeks, they passed legislation banning not only assault weapons or assault rifles, but regular rifles and large capacity magazines. And they got rid of them. And they I believe there was a buyback program. And they confiscated all these um, assault rifles and rifles from from um, citizens. 
And what has happened in Australia? Nothing. They have had no more mass shootings. Like people don't want to commit a mass shooting when they're not armed and have the advantage to kill several people. And then we can also look at New Zealand. They had a more extreme legislation they put into place when they had a mass shooting. They um, eliminated all guns and they they took the guns back. And what happened with that is that it resulted in an elimination of all mass shootings. Now, you don't you don't say that we should if the politics of gun control won't allow what you're asking, which is a new assault weapons ban. Yeah. You're saying that we should not put magnetometers around these outdoor events. We should just go on and have more parades and more events where we could be vulnerable to this kind of thing. Well, I mean, you're we're humans and we like to gather or whatever. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that you're, you're chasing something that we don't know will work. I would imagine somebody figure out a way around it, but what I'm just saying is we know what does work. So why not go with what we know what works? Assault weapons bans with a ban on large capacity magazines are effective at stopping mass shootings. Um, You can't, it would be impossible for you to be able to manage um, the size of those crowds, that number, that many number of people. And of course, we now have those um, those detectors that screen metal metal detectors when you go into schools. Those we we have those, but a mass shooter can just walk right through that. But in, in the Boston Marathon, they have it. They went on with the show, but they have a magnetometer and they have limited checkpoints. You have to go through there. They um, do it at Lollapalooza. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you that maybe they did those and maybe they think that they work, but I would just think that mass shooters are plotters, thinkers. They they work on these for months. So somebody would figure out a way around that, like maybe rent an apartment and have where they have access to people in the in the marathon or the parade. I think it's just like putting band-aids on problems. Instead, why don't we prevent them? And uh, the one thing that struck me was these young people knew about Bobby Cremo. They knew how troubled he was. Why can't we get young people to talk about someone in their ranks who's in trouble? Is it so, a matter of ratting them out? Is that how they view it or what is no, it? Anything, I think young people are young people. And um, I think the one thing we need to communicate with our young people is like, be sure and speak up when you see something that's really disturbing. Let us know. Kids are not stupid. They're very sensitive to things and they know what he did was alarming behavior, but we have to empower them to be able to report it. But there's no system right now created that, you know, tell a teacher, tell a police officer or, you know, whatever, or have put a police in charge of um, investigating this. Um, and they should be looking at who's stockpiling weapons and ammunition. Um, but, and, but unfortunately, like mass shooters, sometimes one of the last things they do before they commit the mass shooting is go pick up the, the hardware or the, the assault rifle and the, the high capacity magazines. So what do we need to do? You say there's no system set up for young people to report this. What do we need to do in the schools to get young people to to tell someone when this when they know someone in their class or in their school or is acting bizarrely and may do this because these kids did know about him. Right. So, so there's something broken in our system where people cannot communicate. I think this is, you know, I saw somebody with an assault weapon. I also feel like social media companies should be um, data mining their own websites for people who post either threats they're going to commit 
commit mass shootings or, um, you know, pictures of people glorifying themselves with, with assault weapons. It's a problem. That's problematic behavior. And um, I think social media should be alerting, you know, law enforcement that um, such and such person is posting photos of themselves posing with assault rifles and threatening to commit a massacre. I think that would be really important. You also shoot down some conclusions that people might draw that you say are false. For example, if parade attendees had had their own weapons, concealed carry, which the Supreme Court has now affirmed and strengthened, that they might have stopped this massacre. You say that is not true. Yes, right. Think about this. So if you, the type of gun that you can carry in public would be like a handgun. Um, think about where this guy was. He had the superior position. He had the, he had the advantage. He was on top of a building. He had a high power gun can shoot from a distance and he can unload multiple rounds where versus a handgun, you can shoot one at a time, but it takes a while to, um, you know, cock the gun, um, and, and pull the trigger. it's not that easy to do. And you certainly couldn't, you certainly wouldn't be able to get somebody who's up on a rough. The fact that the shooter had mental health issues, you say, again, that is not true. We should not stigmatize people with mental health disorders. You say depressed and anxious people do not have dreams of glory from mass shootings. Yeah, like why, why stigmatize them? But then also, let me just like qualify that too. Let's suppose this guy had depression. It doesn't mean he's not accountable for what he just did. It's not an excuse, but just because you, you're sad or depressed or something like that, there's no excuse for um, killing humans. It's, um, and it's just not likely. I, you know, what do we know about people who are depressed is they have a hard time, you know, maintaining a job or going to classes because they don't, because they have mental health problems or depressed or they, they feel anxious or whatever. Um, these people need help. We should treat these mental health conditions, but um, let's not blame them for mass shootings. People, just because someone's depressed or anxious doesn't mean they're going to go out and, you know, commit a mass shooting. What about the irony of choosing July 4th? What is the significance of that? Well, here's the thing is like, um, um, it might have some meaning to him. Well, I'm sure we'll find out eventually here, but it's sort of like the guy who did the Parkland shooting. He picked um, Valentine's Day because he was angry about a, a an ex-girlfriend or something, and it was just a symbol to him. Um, it probably is more related to he thought he could get a big crowd there because this guy has been plotting um, mass shootings since, um, you know, for at least nine months. Um, and and so he has to find a big crowd. And this is probably a place, you know, he's probably familiar with the community where he could go get up on top of a building where he could access what time. And he did it after the parade began. So it means he had a big crowd of people in the streets as well as on the sideline. Um, he planned every single detail of that out. This young man lived in Highwood. Highwood kids attend Highland Park High School, setting up a kind of haves and have not situation that can be very unhealthy. Could that have played a role in this? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that question. Well, you know, Highwood is more of a working class community. Highland Park is a more a wealthier community. And so there's kind of a haves and have nots situation that's set up there. Kids right, can be I cruel to each other. Sure they can. Um, kids are cruel to everybody. Um, and maybe he had grudges or whatever. It's still not a reason. There are kids who are bullied or kids who have feel, you know, that are, that have not, that, that don't commit mass shootings. So, at, I mean, the majority of people who 
um, have, you know, are bullied, they're miserable or whatever, might feel bad about it, but they don't go around killing. What about the trauma to the city of Highland Park? And how would you advise the parents to explain what happened yesterday to their kids who saw it and witnessed it and suffered the trauma from it? Here's, let me give a really important message. And that is is that you can have post-traumatic stress um, um, events. You can have, you know, things can be very traumatic. It's very, very important to treat it aggressively before it gels and becomes post-traumatic stress disorder before it's permanent. Um, um, That there's a whole bunch of mental health needs. Trauma-informed recovery is needed in this community by those people who were shot and survived or those people who are victim witnesses or the families or the friends or the whole community. Um, there's, this is a humongous public health crisis that this um, mass killer created by you know, firing or by you know, threatening and menacing, being menacing to this whole community. Um, people need to be treated. And I think that you need to talk about it, need to talk about feelings. Um, it's, it's horrible. And then we see, you know, like if we look at some of the other um, survivors of mass shootings are victim survivors of it. We see a lot of suicide that happened, like in Parkland or the one in um, Connecticut that happened as well. Newtown, Newtown, Newtown. Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. yeah like so, sort of so if you're a parent, if you're a parent who, who scooped up your kid and went running with him yesterday, a young kid, how do you handle it? What do you Trauma- do? Trauma-informed care. I, I would seek and I would try very hard to find it. It's um, trauma-informed care. There are, there are different types of mental health care providers. I think some of the best ones who do trauma-informed care like come from the field are clinical um, social workers or can be clinical psychologists too, but they have to be trained specifically in trauma-informed care. You wouldn't sit down with your child and talk to them. You would. would. Yeah, of course what, I would. Let them what would talk. you say? What would you say to them? Um, the Well, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm not a mental health provider, so I don't, I don't know, but um, I would encourage them to talk about it. What it. Let me also say another thing. One of the things that we found where I think PTSD was first diagnosed was in World War I out on the front. And one of the things they found that was the best for soldiers, they called it soldier's disease, whatever, where they, um, where they were sitting in these um, holes sitting on the Western front there in Europe. And they found that soldiers did better when they put them back in with their old, um, their old, um, colleagues, friends, soldiers, so that they could talk about it. So they had somebody who understood how they felt and where they could talk about it. And I think that's how trauma-informed care might work in group therapy or and also for just giving people the opportunity to talk about it with other people who have the same experience. Okay, Professor Lori Post, thank you so much for talking about this very difficult subject. And we will watch with a great deal of grief and and concern about what the after effects of this whole horrible incident were. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.